Hello and welcome to the Deep Turn VR podcast. My name's Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer, Mr. Boffer, my man. How are we? So good, but so disappointed that we started the pod and had to cut our Bionicles discussion short. Oh, don't don't bring people in BTS. <laughs> don't get rid of the curtain. That'll, that'll completely ruin the allure. Bring, bring everyone in under the kimono. Sean, was, you were just telling me uh, how excited you were to complete your Bionicles collection. No, I was telling you how excited I am that I have completed my Bionicle collection, like generations one through four. Um, still a work in progress, but I feel like you're... How to say your sarcasm? Is, no, there's no sarcasm. Isn't well, uh, isn't well appreciated on this end of the, <laughs> on this end of the pod. And off <laughs> in my corner, don't you worry. You are okay. You are not going against one man here. You are going you, against you and your army of nine-year-olds. <laughs> um, nine-year-olds don't know what it was because it got discontinued a couple of years ago for Hero Factory. Wow. Well, too deep. Poor, the poor nine-year-olds, yeah, too deep. <laughs> All right, well, let's get deep into basketball because there are the two of us and we are deep. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. huge. A little bit of news, which is uh, rare to come by on um, in this coronavirus morass. Um, let's start off with the news that everyone was talking about yesterday, which was the premiere of The Last Dance documentary on Michael Jordan's Bulls, which was advertised as the final season, but... You know, it's, it's looking like it's going to be the whole entire Bulls tenure, which is awesome. Um, something that I'm looking forward to. I've watched the first two episodes. You've watched the first episode, and I'm loving it so far. What, what are you thinking? I think poor Jerry Krause. Mm. Jerry Krause comes off looking not particularly great as a person. Um, and, yeah, he's dead, so he can't even defend himself. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll get into that. I've written something for the blog that'll be coming up tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow being what did I say? Tuesday being Wednesday, the twenty second. Um, as a connoisseur of this Bulls team, where I've read the the Sam Smith, Jordan Rules, and Phil Jackson's book, I love talking about this team and hearing about this team. Um, and something I'm looking forward to when it comes to the the Kraus bashing is his whole saga with Tony Kukoc where, mm. yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it is, it's very interesting. Um, and a certain Olympics that I hope this documentary gives uh, more access than we've previously had. And I'm liking the little digs that Scotty and, uh, and MJ are giving to Kraus so far. So if this is only two episodes and there's already a few gems in there, I am very excited to see what else is to come. The biggest gem and I'm sure everybody who's listening to this, who's watched it, you know, is aware, but they obviously talk quite a bit about Scotty Pippen's contract situation. Mm. So Scotty Pippen signed a seven year, $18 million deal when he was drafted. And that was the contract that took him through pretty much the entire double three peat run with the bulls. That's, that's fucking insane that this dude was the fifth overall pick in the 1987 draft and pretty much immediately signed that deal. Seven years and mm. $18 million. He's yeah, well, getting paid the same amount as Andre Robeson. 
Yeah, well, obviously times have changed. Um, yeah, I mean, you account for inflation, but at the time he was like the, you know, I think he was like the 60-something highest paid player in the league and he was like making like all defensive teams every year and all mm. NBA, you know, all NBA teams mm. multiple times. Dude, just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I was shocked. I mean, you, in terms of how, how it played with his relationship with Kraus, you you touch on it a bit in the piece that's coming out tomorrow, so I won't step on your toes too much. But he was Scotty was obviously a bit bitter that he was on such a grossly undervalued contract. But why is Kraus going to redo the contract and be like, you know what, you do deserve a max contract. I'm going to, you know, change it. He's like, yeah. nah, like you're a huge bargain. I'm going to keep you, mm. Scotty Pippen. Newsflash: You're the fifth overall pick. Don't sign a contract that gives you two million dollars a year. That's my yeah. yeah, well, something else that um, was said in that is Jerry Reinsdorf was said to Scotty the day he signed it, he said, don't sign that because if you are as good as advertised, you're going to be worth much more than that in a couple of years or even just next year. So, you know, obviously don't take that risk. And If you're the general manager and you're trying to sign this guy to a deal that you think is great and you've got a guy on your team, your owner, who's saying to the player, hey, don't do that. You can make more money. And general manager's like, well, what's going on? Like, you know, whose side are you on? Because obviously signing Scotty to a blow market deal, just something that I liken it to in the article is signing Steph Curry to that, uh, to his contract, um, his contract extension after his rookie deal where there was all the questions about his ankles. It's the same deal. That enabled the Warriors to go off and do great things like sign Kevin Durant and, you know, surround the team with, um, with players, you know, knowing that you've got a cost-controlled MVP at a... You know, he's, he was uh, what, something stupid. It was like in the final year, it was like 12 point something mil um, when the max was obviously closer to what it is today. So, yeah, check it out. It'll be on Medium tomorrow. Yeah, definitely check it out. So you just mentioned um, to me today that Golden State, I wasn't aware of this, but Golden State denied similar all access to video crews in their championship runs. So we're not going to get to see a similar documentary come out about the Golden State three and four years teams, Mm. Uh, which is kind of disappointing because wouldn't it be so juicy to see those behind the scenes conversations between KD and Draymond? Yeah, but that's why I'm waiting for David West's book. Um, David West said once he retired that it wasn't all harmony um, behind the scenes with Golden State, and he said he's going to eventually tell it. So I am waiting eagerly for David West to write a book. Uh, there is no planned date for that, but yeah, we we will hear it. Obviously, not for a while. David West laying the foundation years in advance, building up publicity. <laughs> West Publishing Company. Uh, and then Dwayne Wade, obviously, in his last dance, for want of a better word, um, with the Miami Heat. He, there was a little bit of coverage on it that Dwayne Wade is obviously letting in camera crews to film his last season with the Miami Heat. But, yeah, obviously, uh, this might be something like what we get with Dwayne Wade in the future, but I doubt it will be as big as this MJ Bulls one. And this took like 20 years to make, as in, mm. not 20 years to make, but 20 years to come out. So wonder if Dwayne Wade's going to have a quick turnaround and it's going to be pumped out next year or we're going to have to wait around 20 years as well. Dwayne Wade strikes me as the kind of guy who's going to get that content out stat. But <laughs> the one thing that I will say is it's going to hit a little different comparing the champion 97-98 Bulls to the 39-43 and 43 2018-19 Miami Heat. So, 
it doesn't quite have the same ring as watch a legend go out on top. It's kind of like, hmm, yeah, the Heat were pretty average that year. Yeah. I mean, I'll tune in, but, you know. Yeah. It was like, oh, of, the year before, you almost made the playoffs. That's pretty cool. Yeah, like delusions of grandeur from Dan Wade. And then he retired and they got super good and became the four seed. So, anyway. No, no aspersions on Dwayne Wade. What a he was a, a transcendent talent. I'd hate to end up on his wrong side. Our next piece of news is that with the Brooklyn Nets coaching job that is arguably available, while games aren't cancelled, they're technically suspended, and the Nets do have an interim coach. It is assumed that they will not be bringing back. Uh, is it Ty Corbin or was that is that the Nets coach at the moment? Oh, after they um. You got rid of Kenny. Fired Kenny. Yeah. You know what? I don't even know who it is. No, Jacques Vaughan. Jacques Vaughan. Oh, um, but yeah, true. The news is that Tyron Lue is interested in taking their head coaching role. And Lue obviously has experience coaching Kyrie Irving when he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, and it seems like every second day, there is a different quote that contradicts what the other one has said. So one day it's Tyron Lowe, he's not interested. The next day, Kyrie is like super, super interested. Then two days later, Kyrie's like, nah, I don't want to coach. don't want to play with him. And yeah, it's it's flip-flopping. Uh, we've sort of like stamped it down and this is what we're talking about right now. But yeah, this could all change in a couple of days. And yeah, technically we don't know. Well, we technically do, but we don't really know when the off-season is going to be. So this may be a decision that isn't made for another couple of months. Yeah, it, it could take a while. The one thing that I think about uh, that's really interesting about this piece of news is apart from what you've just detailed where it's like the does Kyrie want him as a coach or doesn't he and vice versa is a very foundational question when you're hiring a guy to be your head coach. And that question is, is Ty Lu a good coach? Mm-hmm. On one hand, he's never not won the championship or a conference championship in any of his years as a, as a head coach. He's never not won the conference championship or the NBA championship. On the other hand, it seems like it was more a product of LeBron James, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love that mm-hmm. won the championship rather than Lou because he came, that was the season when he came in halfway through for David Blatt, who also made the NBA finals the year before. So it was like David Blatt made the NBA finals, got fired and then see you later. Mm-hmm. Was that 2015-16 championship LeBron's championship in totality or was Lou such a good coach that he um, that he you know changed everything? Yeah, well, no, no one's going into a game, whatever matchup it may be, and saying, "Oof, Ty Lue's got the coaching advantage this game." So you know, it's like six versus five at the start of the game with the coach and the five starters. No one's saying that. So yeah, this seems like just a big name to appease the big names. But look, the he's proven that he can win when just simply being a placeholder for LeBron. So I don't know if that same rule applies with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan, but you know. DeAndre Jordan will be very happy because, you know, Tyloo is known for being able to manage the egos of star players. Mm. And that was one of the reasons why Kenny Atkinson was fired is because the egos of star players were not appropriately managed when DeAndre Jordan was being disrespected 
It was a little joke because yeah. he wasn't being disrespected because he's not that good. All right, yeah. let's move on. Next next item on the rundown. Regards, Australian icon. Like the big yeah. banana and the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Andrew Bogut. Mm. So he hasn't decided whether he's going to retire or not, but it's looking likely he was going to play at the Olympics in Tokyo this winter, but obviously a global pandemic has harpooned, submarined that, that uh, possibility. So he is now looking at, you know, facing a delay and came out and said that he hasn't played basketball in a couple of months since this all happened and it felt good. So we, this might be the last that we see professionally of the greatest Australian big man ever. Mm, yeah, it will be a great career. And if he does come back, it's looking like he's going to play in the NBL again. It looks like the the number 66 for the Lakers isn't, uh, isn't exactly drawing much attention. He wasn't really effective in his final years in the NBA, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles. And it's fun to watch him on Australian soil. Hopefully it's with Melbourne and not Sydney. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. That way we can actually see him. Andrew Bogut, first overall pick in 2005. Never forget, out of Utah. Lovely. All right, well, let's move on to the meat of the podcast where you and I will be ranking the, our, in our opinion, the best players under 23 years old. So that is under 23 years old from the start of the 2019-20 season. And we are ranking these players based on talent today and winning games today. We're not ranking them on projections. Um, so I'd like to apologize to any Harry Giles fans out there or if you're a Skull Labissier fan. Um, and yeah, we're going to see which players uh, in our eyes, because 23 is a bit of a, you know, it's, it's sort of the number where you say, oh, you know, this guy is this good and he's not even 23 yet. You know, you say Luka Doncic is put, having an incredible season and he's 21. But as soon as you say, oh, you know, Anthony Davis is having a killer season and he's 24 years old. It's like, oh, well, fair enough. He's sort of coming into his prime. He's been in the league for four or five years now. So 23 is a bit of the cutoff from young prospect to established player. Um, and then, yeah, you've sort of see, you've seen people, you've seen players grow by the time they're at 23. So we are ranking the best young players in our eyes. Dante, do you have anything more to add to that before we both agree with our first pick? Nah, I don't have anything to add. Let's get straight to the agreeing part of it. All right. Well, I could I just say that I've I've done this in uh, rankings from one to so I've got seventeen. I think you've got seventeen as well. But I have very loosely got tiers when it comes to these players. So in with my first pick, which I'm sure is your first pick, um, famous last words. Um, I've got Luka Doncic all by himself, who's putting up 28 points, uh, 28.7 points, 9.3 rebounds, and 8.7 assists as a 21-year-old who's only just legally allowed to drink. And he is, in my eyes, uh, in a tier all by himself uh, atop this ranking as the best and brightest future and best right now for any young player. Do you agree? Oh, you better believe I agree. But I don't really have anything to add except one thing that you neglected to mention, which is that he was the uh, floor general and offensive engine of the best offense in NBA history in yeah. terms of points per 100 possessions. And it's his second year. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything else to say. Everyone knows what we think. We both think of Luca. He's literally 
like he's transcendent. Like I can't think of the last time a second year player was going to be the you know one of the forwards on a All NBA first team, um, pretty comfortably and you know finishing the top five or six in MVP voting. Like it's just mm-hmm. insane what he's doing. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. We've it's, we've sort of been normalized to it because numbers are inflating, but. Luka Doncic is incredible. And watching the MJ documentary, which I was watching yesterday, I was trying to think, well, what are some similarities to uh, basketball that I've watched? And the first similarity would be the Golden State Warriors because I've obviously watched them come from scrappy playoff team to you know NBA champion. I've seen the Steph Curry rise. And just like a lot of those MJ fans, I can just pinpoint a random game in Orlando where he hit a game winner over Tobias Harris and crazy things like that. And I'm like, God, that's amazing. I've, you know, I love that team. Um, But I think in terms of one player that's come to a place, it's not like Dallas was a nobody and Dallas had never had success before. before. But Luka Doncic coming in and just really slapping his dick on the table and being the best player. Like he is in the MVP discussion already in a field with Giannis and LeBron. And yes, he's a step below them, but he is 21 years old and he's already averaging such gaudy stats, which is... Mm awesome for the future of the league and awesome for a future of the league that is led by non-Americans, you know, with Giannis and Luca. If KP can stay healthy, uh, imagine, you know, like he, he's had a bit of an up and down season in his first season back from, you know, say like 18 months yeah. with, with um, recovering from that ACL. If KP kind of takes like a 15% step forward next season and gets back to like what he was in that last season before he, uh, before he injured himself in New York. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Luke is only getting better. KP goes back to being an all-star level player, mm. which he hasn't been this season. Huge. The crazy thing about this team is that a lot of other uh, players who have kind of taken like a big step to become an MVP level player. So look at a guy you just mentioned, Giannis. When you're looking at those teams, it's like, who's the third best player on the team? Well, like when Giannis won his first MVP and vaulted into that truly transcendent category, the play that the, you know, the next best players after him was Chris Middleton, who was an all-star. So that's something that Luca doesn't have. And then it was like Malcolm Brogdon and Eric Bledsoe. Two, Eric, Eric Bledsoe hasn't been an all-star in his career, but there are a couple of seasons when he was with the Suns where he... Yeah. Uh, was really close and he's made a couple all defensive teams. Brogdon, same deal, really, really good. One of only seven players in NBA history to have a 50, 40, 90 season. The best player on these Mavericks team, the th- sorry, the third best player on these Maverick team is probably depending on um, how you like your players, either Tim Hardaway, Seth Curry or Dwight Powell. Mm. So, yeah, it says something. It's yeah, uh, it really says it's something about how good Luca is that you know, and all of these guys are really good offensively at what they do, but none none of it's possible without Luca. Yeah, he is the little engine that makes them go. All right, uh, who have you got as your second player? Let's start the disagreements. Yeah, I think from here on out, it's going to be a little bit more choppy and less harmonious than um, than the number one pick. So I've gone. With Trey at uh at number two. See, I I've got Jason Tatum at two, but I was scared having Trey, who I've got at four, so high because we've argued about Trey in the past, um, notably the All Star starter selections, mm. and I think your argument there was that he 
wasn't winning games, you shouldn't give him the All Star. So I guess would that be that you, wasn't my wasn't my um it wasn't your whole argument. I didn't that, I didn't think that he it. shouldn't I didn't think that he shouldn't be an All Star. But my argument was basically like you know, but channeling my inner Bill Simmons and saying it matters that you're not winning games. Okay, so obviously this argument doesn't matter about your team whatsoever. Um, why have you got Trey Young ahead of Jason Tatum? In my little notes that I've written for myself, I've literally finished it up with, although I don't like it, he sneaks ahead of Tatum. So I feel really <laughs> conflicted about this, but yeah. I did a bit of digging uh, into just trying to find a precedent for someone so young putting up these numbers. So he's shooting um, 29 points. Um, so he's scoring 29.6 points per game uh, along with 9.3 assist per game. So you're talking about scoring numbers that match up with, you know, like the best seasons of any number of elite scorers careers. And you're also talking about, he finished second in the league in assists. His assist percentage is 42.4%, which is the best mark in the league. So he's truly a transcendent player on a transcendent passer. And offensively, the Hawks are 12 points per game better with him in the game, which ranks in the 98th percentile. So he, he pretty much is the offense and he could be the offense for you know any number of teams because um, of his game-breaking combination of passing and shooting. Big inhale because now i'm going to talk about the defense which obviously is horrendous like he might be the worst defender in the league and he's a worrying combination of bad and disinterested and if you look at undersized guards and the history of their you know the dissection of their defensive play so i'm going to look at someone like steph curry he was, you know, early in his kind of ascent to superstardom. The narrative from some commentators was he's a terrible defender. He's undersized. He gets picked on. But you could always see that he was trying and that he wasn't just, like, giving up. Trae Young doesn't even try. And yeah. that's, you know, that's a huge, huge deficit. But ultimately, I think the fact that he's putting up uh, passing numbers that compare with peak Steve Nash, two-time MVP, and scoring numbers that compare with Allen Iverson, you know, an MVP mm-hmm. himself. Um, that, you know, that compares pretty favorably. You know, looking at dudes who are his size, you're you're either the Iverson and you're scoring 30 a game or you're the Nash and you're getting 10 assists. You're never both. Even someone like Gilbert Arenas, who was scoring 30 game, 30 points a game in the mid 2000s, he was averaging six assists per game. Steph Curry was averaging seven assists per game. You know, like these young, these guys that, that can get you the 28, 29 points, they don't average almost 10 assists a game and they certainly mm-hmm. don't do it at 21 years old. So I hate myself for doing it, but that's why I've put him ahead of Tatum. So you've got Tatum too. I've got Tatum too. I completely agree with all your points. Um, the reason I put Jason Tatum ahead is that he's proven to do it on a winning team uh, at a very high level. And while his numbers his, his numbers aren't as flashy, especially his off-on numbers, which is sort of a product of playing for a good team, he's got better backups and he... You know, currently there's no there's no Cam Reddishes or Evan Turners behind him. And as yeah. I've written here with Trey Young, I don't want to punish him for playing with Alex Len and Cam Reddish, but you don't want to punish Jason Tatum for playing with Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown per se. So I've I've just put Jason Tatum here because he is 
grown so much as a scorer and Tan shouldered us so much more of the responsibility and been able to do it quite efficiently. And, you know, just the, there are shots that stick in my mind, like the shot where he crossed up Paul George and then hit a game tying shot. And just, he's, he's done it on the big stage and like, yes, so has Trey and Trey's got the nickname ice Trey, but Jason Tatum's doing it for a team that's going to be going very deep into the playoffs. And he's also had the playoff experience in the past as well. And he hasn't shied away from the contest. I think the thing that really changed my opinion on Tatum, and I've been you know, quite a big critic of him over the last sort of two years, mm. largely because of his offensive shot selection and kind of like lackadaisical approach, where he'll be like, I might just a couple of between the leg dribbles and pull up. The second half of the season, he started going to the rim more. And although his finishing numbers at the rim aren't, great yeah, uh, the fact that he's going yeah the fact that he's going to the rim more really opens everything else up so he you know his final numbers for the season were 23 points per game he's shooting 40 percent from three i mean that's pretty big he's the well, clearly it's, the, sorry it's big he's shooting 40 percent on just over seven attempts a game which is incredible which is yeah. exactly what you want as well yeah, so he's got and and a good um a good diet as well. One of the like a, a variety. One of the things that's really um really helped him in this Celtics offense is the fact that they've got multiple ball handlers. So a lot of the time the ball's in Kemba's hands and then they'll go and put it in Haywood's hands and Jalen Brown is more than capable ball handler as well. So often Tatum's, you know, taking those threes um when he's spotting up. But obviously, he's developed a skill set where he's one of these guys who you have to worry about him walking into a three uh, mm. and pulling up. So he's got the versatility to kind of damage from deep um, in both ways. And then obviously, you know, one of our gripes has been he takes too many mid-range shots. And that's not because he's, you know, like, it's not we weren't griping because he's bad at them. He's obviously quite good at them. So now that he's attacking the rim, shooting a high volume from three, and he's still kind of got that deadly mid-range game. And there's no real reason why he can't hit 25 a game next year. Mm. He's already the best team on, you know, one of the best player on one of the best teams in the East. So mm. um, it was, yeah, it was neck and neck for me with him and Trey, but I just thought I would err on the side of give it to the guy who's averaging 20 fucking nine and nine. Yeah. So, so have you got Jason Tatum at three? I've got Tatum at three. All right, so I've got Trey at four, and I've got Devin Booker at the three. Um, yeah, okay. Well, Booker's my fourth, so we, right, we've, we've matched up pretty nicely so That's far. That's pretty cute. <laughs> um, well, I'll just, I'll just speak on Devin Booker quickly before we move on, and it's he's proven the knock on him was that he's putting up good numbers on a bad team, and he's proven that you know we, we criticised the Ricky Rubio signing, but since he's been there, Devin Booker has taken less shots and being scoring more points and become more efficient at the shots that he's taken. Um, he doesn't need the ball to be efficient. He can run off the ball, uh, which has helped playing alongside a capable point guard, which Dante, I'm sure you know all too well about having capable point guard play, being a Phoenix fan. Um, <laughs> and there are only six non-big men in the league that have a higher true shooting percentage than him this season. Um, and they are your... Duncan Robinson types, the only two players out of that six that are not just catch-and-shoot snipers like JJ Redick as well, uh, Chris Middleton and Damian Lillard. So that is very good company to be in. And I have said this plenty of times. You are trying to be sceptical, which I completely understand, but 
Phoenix were doing something really great at the start of the season and it was derailed by no fault of their own. It was derailed by the injury bug. So I think we'd be talking about Devin Booker in much prettier light if they, if he was able to back it up with the winning, but it's not his fault or his team's fault that they weren't able to back it up with the win. Ning. Yeah, I mean, we oscillated. We, you know, we had we had periods this season where we looked very good and we had periods this season where we didn't look very good. Um, that, obviously, like you mentioned, um, we had you know, a few key players. Aiton missed 25 games. Baines missed a lot of time. Rubio oh, no, sorry. I meant the key time. players. You, you didn't need to mention Aiton. No, stop it. <laughs> my guy, my guy. Um, but, yeah, the one constant throughout the whole um, that whole experience with Booker. So the notes that I had that I just wanted to talk about is that he's one of the most um, effective and efficient mid-range scorers in the whole game. So he came in with a reputation as you know a pure shooter and what you've actually seen develop through his first five years is is the opposite of what we might have thought where you, know, you want him to shoot more threes because he's so good, but um, he has the ability to get anywhere on the court because his handle is so tight um, and he can just, you know, little, little herky jerky moves and keeping the defense off balance. He can rise up for any shot and, you know, he hits, um, he hits mid ranges at um, a clip of 48% for all of his mid range shots, which is, you know, huge. And then the other number is that he's pretty much, <laughs> he ranks in the 99th percentile in terms of um, passing amongst wings. So if you want, a guy on the wing at the two or the three who can be the you know the lead dog on your defense. Um, I think I've got a pretty good idea of who uh, is the only player in the league that ranks ahead of him, and his name starts with LeBron and ends with James. So um, Booker is well deserved making his first All Star game this season, uh, and yeah, he 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 just has developed into a really efficient player, and he doesn't you know. He doesn't waste the ball and he, he does a lot with it when he has it. And also, he's one of my favorite players and he plays for my favorite team, so I might be slightly biased. All right, so that is our top four. I've got two more players in my tier one. If you were going by tiers, would you agree with me with that? I think I would put one more player in, in this tier and I think there's a drop. Does his name rhyme with Schmandem Schmingram? Yeah, it does. <laughs> All right, so my number five player uh, still in that tier one is Zion Williamson. Mm, Interesting. Um, Yeah. Because I think in such a small sample size and at such a young age, he's already proven putting up, well, he's probably going to finish the season at 23.6 points and 6.8 rebounds, but near 60% field goal percentage. And he is taking and mostly missing his threes. So it's not like we're just seeing dunks, although... Uh, outside of one or two shots, maybe we are seeing just dunks. And he has already proven that he is a go-to force that is giving nightmares to opposing coaches. And I mean, we all know what Zion Williamson does, but one thing I did want to touch on is that in transition, his transition numbers are fine, but when it comes to the team performing, again, those numbers are also fine, but something that is causing a nightmare for opposing teams is that when he's running in transition, He'll give up the ball and then he'll run and he'll track the he'll attract the defense towards him because he's obviously someone that is a lob threat no matter where he is in the half court. But what he does is 
obviously someone picks him up and then he just posts up that guy and he posts up whoever it is, the small guy or the big guy, and he can take them off the dribble if they're too slow or whatever it may be because he is an incredible athlete. And that draws in the defense. And all of a sudden, because he's such a smart passer, he's passing it out. And then you've got Brandon Ingram or Drew Holiday or whoever it may be attacking off a unstable defensive situation. And it's just something like that, which I've, which I've touched on there, something that is uniquely Zion and, I mean, how many games did you play? Like 20-odd games or whatever the 19. final. 19. That, so that's the final number. And we already know that he is – we already knew going in as well that he was going to be incredible. But I think he's already proven that uh, this is the Zion era. And I wish it was for a full season, but I'll have to settle for a full season next year if we get a full season. Positivity, please. I don't want to talk about ifs. I want to talk about how crazy Zion's um, – like initiation into the league was. I, yeah, I don't have him ranked uh, at five. I've got him behind his teammate, um, Brandon Ingram. So I've kind of like flipped them, um, flipped them around. But yeah, Zion, I don't know. He's quite good. I feel like his basement, like his absolute floor is going to be 20 and 10 every night. And he combines so much of so many different people. Like he's, a better offensive rebounder than Tristan Thompson, who for most of this decade has been the best offensive rebounder in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's shown that he can hit some threes, famously hitting his first four in his um, in the fourth quarter of his yeah, debut first game. debut game. Um, individually, he kind of doesn't really have the hang of defense yet, but for whatever reason, um, the defensive numbers when he's in the game are much, much better for New Orleans. I don't know that it's fair to attribute all of that to him and say, oh my God, he makes the team so much better. But he definitely does make them make them better. Um, and it's, it's just so... Um, his skills are just not necessarily super developed and he's already so effective um, with his athleticism and his feel for the game. You know, there's really no telling what he could become if he can, you know, develop his outside shot and his ball handling. But even if we, you know, froze his career and he, um, you know, never developed any of those, he's going to be a minimum 20 and 10 guy, which is pretty huge. Mm. Pretty huge. Yeah. Um, I completely agree with you, but I've got... I've got Brandon Ingram in a tier below uh, mm. Zion and my next guy uh, just because I think Brandon Ingram is great and it's great that he shot close to 39%, close to 40% on 6.3 three-point attempts and that was pretty much what we were waiting for. We were waiting for Brandon Ingram to learn to shoot. He does and all of a sudden he's, he is that next KD that everyone's been talking about in that 6.9 frame but I just think he doesn't do anything to an incredibly elite level. Like, yes, he's an elite shooter now, but like, yeah, everyone in my top tier. So my, my last guy now is Bam Adebayo, who is the anchor of an extremely successful team. All these guys that we've talked about previously, they all do something incredible and they all do something great. Brendan Ingram seems like very good. That's what I have him at the moment. And I think he is an incredible complimentary piece while every single other player that we've mentioned so far is an incredible like one or whether that be in scoring or one in terms of facilitating with Bam Adebayo and just being the center of the offense. So I think Brendan Ingram is, well, I know because I've got him as my 
my first second tier guy. He is the, the head of the second tier, but I just don't have him in the same conversation as the other guys. See, I, I don't know. I think the fact that he's maybe not elite at any one thing um, is what kind of, for me, cements the, cements the, you know, his position um, because he's, he's so good at so many things. Um, he's, you know, apart from his scoring, which he's averaging 25 points a game um, and his, um, yeah, which is, and his um, three point shooting, like you mentioned before, he's developed into a really, really good passer. So uh, one of the best marks in terms of assist percentage in the league amongst forwards. So that's you know, nothing to sneeze at. And um, maybe he is, you know, he in in his like ideal form, like if he's going to win a championship on a team, it's going to be as a complementary piece, not as like the number one guy. But mm. for a complementary piece to be able to step in and then just average twenty five points a game, shoot forty percent from um, you know, shoot forty percent from three, and then play some decent defense, yeah, it's mm. not a bad cameo to be able to just step in. Um, well, could I, I thing, ask you a question on that? Is he? Yeah, yeah. Who's better? Is it? Who has a better career at the end of the day? Is it Brandon Ingram or Tobias Harris? Brandon Ingram, because because this season is is you know is better than anything Tobias Harris has ever put out, um, and I don't think that that's even particularly close. Um, they're both those guys that come in, score twenty five points a night, and go home. No, I don't think that's fair. I, I think that's really selling Ingram short because mm-hmm. um, you know. We talked about it a few weeks ago. I, th- I can't remember where I heard the quote, but someone was saying that Tobias Harris is the third is the third option, even when he's the first option. Yeah, even Brandon next Ingram, to yeah, Brand, yeah, you next to Shake Milton. Brandon Ingram, you know, was the number one option, and yeah, the Pelicans weren't good, but Tobias Harris doesn't have that um, ability to step in and kind of like take, um, you know, take control of the game like Brandon Ingram did. Um, and you know, if you want to just look at the you know, the raw stats. Tobias Harris' best season with the Clippers before he was traded. Um, you know, he doesn't even get close to Ingram's points per game and efficiency totals. Uh, so that season with the Clippers, um, Harris averaged 20 points a game and he shot 48% from the field and you know, 39%. So he's effectively five points lower um, per game with similar efficiency, but his passing is just not even on the same yeah, level. Yeah. So I think that's really doing Brandon Tiny Dog Ingram pretty dirty by um, by comparing that. I think based. Yeah, I think Ingram. Yeah, I mean, I think he's really good. He's he's an all he's an all star. I don't think there's much. Deba- I don't think you can really debate that. You know, so at the very least, you're saying that this season, admittedly with a couple of notable names who were injured this season, he's, you know, knocking on the door of being a top 25 player. I'm sure we'll talk about this for many years to come. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, sure we will. I'm sure we will. I think, yeah, I think, I don't know. He's not yeah. typically the type of player that I gravitate towards to. And that's why I kind of think that that's what kind of conf, you know, confirms to me that um, that he is this good because I'm not saying this out of any kind of like bias towards a particular play style or whatever because generally mm. I don't really like long dudes who settle for a lot of mid-range jump shots, but he is just really good. Yeah. All right. Well, so, so, you, all right, so I had Ingram five and Zion six. 
who who were your five and six? So I had Zion five, Ingram seven, and then in my last name for that top tier, I've got Bam Adebayo. Who so I had Bam seven straight after Zion. So let's talk about Bam. Yeah, well, I guess we're sort of both agreeing here. But mm. I've got him ahead of Brandon Ingram because he is just just the same argument with Jason Tatum and um, Trey Young. He has been a guy. He's the go-to guy, the arguably best player anyway on a winning team so yes you could say they're putting up similar similar production in terms of just being good but Bam Adebayo is doing it on a really winning team who and it was like 16 10 and 5 that is just gorgeous that's like one mm. of those Draymond lines where Draymond will have like eight points off like three shots but 15 assists and you know 10 rebounds like something cute as like that um, and Bam just does it all. And I picked him for most improved player heading into the season. And I said a couple of weeks ago that, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my victory lap, but I didn't expect him to become like a baby Jokic. I thought he was going to be that, you know, that DeAndre Jordan type who can just run dunk balls, but he's also got a bit of a soft touch. But he has transitioned that soft touch with passing the ball into just being the playmaker for this team. And it helps that he's got all these crazy shooters all around him and like this, the slipperiest of cutters in guards all around him and every single white dude that can shoot in a big. And it's just, it's fun to watch. And yeah, Bam is, Bam is one of those guys for me that I have in that, you know, definitive skill tier. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But again, I think by kind of like walling it off as who's got these definitive skills and who doesn't, it it kind of undersells him short because he isn't, you know, I don't think he'll end up making it just because there, there's only two spots for it. But he's in the running for a spot on one of the all-defensive teams as a center. Mm-hmm. You know, he's probably, if there were four all-defensive teams, he'd probably be one of the centers on one of them. Yeah. The, um, he's the fulcrum defensively. Um, his numbers are good. He's averaging 1.2 steals and 1.3 blocks, which are, you know, like that's neither no. of those are elite on their own. But in you know comparison, usually the dudes who are averaging two blocks aren't averaging 1.2 steals and vice yeah. versa. And the Heat finished seventh. So defensively a menace and just, you know, you mentioned him as, as baby Jokic. The, this kind of came out of nowhere. Um, probably the Heat players and Eric Spolster were the only people in the world who knew that Bam Adebayo was going to come out and be the second best passing big man doing, you know, these, these numbers that he's putting up are pretty reminiscent of prime Joakim Noah. I think that's mm-hmm. the comparison. And much like he's obviously much more athletic. Um, Noah had to use his smarts to be, you know, defensive yeah. player of the year caliber player. Um, obviously Bam's just a super athlete, but um, much like Noah and pretty similar to another white guy defensive player of the year in Marc Gasol, um, he, he's just that kind of hub on offense where mm. he can handle the ball at the top of the key, no worries. Um, and then when he's got the ball posted up on the elbow, you know, he's, he's not a very good, um, post scorer but he's an excellent post passer and he's really good with the dribble handoff and so much of that offense runs through him as a facilitator mm-hmm. um, he's he's really really good at a lot of different things so I think to say that he's one of these definitive skill guys you know kind of like misses you know, some of what makes him so good mm. yeah okay I'll accept that but I have Bam higher than Brandon Ingram because I see Bam as more special, if that's a better way to put it. 
Yeah, well, I mean... It's a rarer skill to have a big man that can do what he's doing than it is to have a wing that can put up 24 points. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. Yeah. That's All, right. Fair. All right, so we're moving on to your, the top of your next tier. I'm yeah, going to... Brandon Ingram's the top of my tier two. Oh, okay. I've got okay. Two more guys left. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go next because yep. I know that I know that this is going to be a point where we disagree. My eighth ranked player is Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got Shea in a tier below, but something I mentioned with the tier below um, is that I've got four four names in there, arguably five that I think are all interchangeable because it's really hard to compare the pair when it comes to like SGA and Jalen Brown and Jamal Murray and, you know, any of these guys in this tier. So I completely understand, but give me the argument. I'm just going to start off and say that over the second half of the year, I completely fell in love with SGA. Um, to be good enough as a rookie to play on, like play, you know, 28 minutes a game on a playoff team, uh, you know, you've got to be, pretty fucking good and then to be good enough in your second year to be the second best player on a five seed you've got to be pretty fucking good so he's averaging 20 um 20 points a game he's the heir to Dwayne Wade as the best rebounding two guard averaging six per game um he's shooting almost 50 percent from three and just sorry from the field and despite not being a you know super confident three-point shooter he's still shooting league average the thing that i love about sga is that he is and i'm i've got numbers to back me up but the eye test as well he's the best cutter in the league like he's so smart if you turn your head as a defender he's gone when he's um in and around the paint so many of those little like darts to the rim that he can catch a, a you know a um a pass off of a, a sorry catch a yeah a pass off of um the hands of Chris Paul or Dennis Schroeder and he um finishes really really well off those uh off those passes and the thing that I love most about him is that he just lives in the paint he mm. just lives there he doesn't shoot very many threes he doesn't take any long twos. He just uses his slippery handle to dribble around a screen, get into the paint, and he's just his pull-up game from that short area with like a variety of little floaters um, and short jumpers is just it's just beautiful. He kind of has a bit of Demar Derozan in that way, where he um, doesn't he's you know like a big long two guard who can use his size to post up and get inside, but his shot selection is better than DeMar's because DeMar often settled for long twos, whereas SGA doesn't. And then couple that with the fact that he's a really good defender um, with that big, long frame and the ability to kind of like stay in somebody's pocket when they're going around a screen because he's 6'6". He can defend upper position and he can still stay with, you know, the more explosive point guards on the ground. I just fucking love SGA. That's my case. Yeah, fair enough. I, uh, I didn't have him as high because I think he's benefiting a lot playing alongside two point guards. So he's not asked to be the ball handler coming down and which is fine. That's just, that's just the way it is. And he's done a great job in it. But I think the comparison to DeMar DeRozan is really apt. And I love that there's someone that's like DeMar DeRozan, but doesn't have the stigma of DeMar DeRozan. So we're all enjoying it for what it is because 
he is getting that. He's, he is cutting and getting those awesome slippery little finishes. And as you said, he's extremely long, can finish over some of the best. But he is also like DeMar DeRozan in that he does not take many threes at all. And yeah, but I mean, DeMar, I don't have DeMar's career numbers in front of me, but DeMar, you know, I'd be shocked if he cracked 30% from his career from three, whereas SGA is at league average from three. He doesn't shoot very many of them granted but when he does he's hitting them at 35 percent 36 percent yeah uh and i think that is uh that was a bit of a penalty for me because Mm. i guess like our our the way we're measuring these players is how good they are but part of how good they are has to come into how they fit in the nba in today and yes, I think Shea's amazing. You can plug him into any team and it helps that he's playing alongside Chris Paul, but I think you could plug him in anywhere and he would do a great job. But I think it's different when you have to win at a very high level and you're going to have a guy like Shea who, yes, he's hitting a league average percentage from three, but he's, you know, in terms of three-point takes, um, he's in the fourth percentile in the league at percentage of shots from three that he's taking. And then I think it was something like 94. He's in the 94th percentile in how many are assisted. So a lot of the threes he takes, which aren't many, are off off the catch. So um, I think... Yeah, he hasn't developed confidence as a walk-up three-point shoot yet. And you don't have to be that, but I think just more catch and shoot or just, just a bigger sample size to keep defenders honest because it's all great to win games in OKC, but... Mm. Like I think when it comes down to winning a championship, he's more in that Sean Livingston mold, um, but obviously a lot better. So he's that really tall guard who is going to bully. Um, he's going to cut off the ball and he's going to bully smaller guys. And I'm not. I'm not saying that he is Sean Livingston in that role. He's obviously going to be much better than that because Sean Livingston was limited as a reserve. But I think Shea is a bit like that in that he will win a lot of matchups because his body is bigger but not necessarily because he's going to power through them and beat them with skill. It's quite rude. (laughs) I think that there's going to be a season in the next few where he's like the undisputed best player on a team. And I think he's going to put up, you know, 25, five, you know, 25, eight and five on really, really good efficiency. um, Because he'll be a fantasy darling. Yeah, he will. And I, I mean, just on your point about his, um, his three-point shooting. So he takes three and a half a game this season. So it's not nothing. Um, Over 200 on the season, 222 attempted in 63 games. So that's, it's not a huge sample size. Obviously, you know, you want to get over 500 attempts in the NBA before you can definitively, not definitively, but start to form a picture of whether, um, you know, whether you are a good shooter or not a good shooter, but he shoots over 80% from the free throw line. So his form's not an issue. Um, and you see with young players and they come into the league, they don't always, you know, obviously unless you're Trey Young, they don't always have the ability to like, you know, run straight into a pull-out three and, and walk up threes and be really comfortable in themselves taking that. But I, I guarantee when he is playing as the lead ball handler, um, then he's just going to explode. I've never been so sure of anything in my entire life. Well, 
That's the reason why I've got my guy who's at eight ahead of SGA, and that's Jar Morant, because mm. you talk about, yes, he can come in and be the lead guard. Well, Jar Morant's come in in his age 20 season as a rookie, and he is the lead guard, and he has taken this team that people thought were going to be tanking for another pick and trying to keep their pick off the Celtics. But Memphis has come in, and if the playoffs were today, they're going to be making the playoffs. And that is largely, you can largely contribute that to Jay Corretta, sorry, Jar Morant. So, God, no laugh there. Tough crowd with Dante after he's he's so locked in after his SGA talk. But Jamaran, my SGA talk. <laughs> Jamaran has come in and he's been the lead guard for a playoff team, and I see that as elite. And he has been an incredible passer. Um, and I think it's just also amazing the fact that you have to put everything with the asterisks of he's a rookie point guard, and rookie point guards don't usually do this. So. Same with your SGA. I'm really excited to see where Jarmarant goes with this and how he grows in a player that is already so good um, as a as a point guard leading a team. Uh, I don't really have much more to say on that, but where where do you have Jar? So I've actually got Jar tenth, mm-hmm. um, but I really like that one of the things that you just touched on was being a point guard, a rookie point guard leading the team. Because one of the things that I want to touch on is his leadership quality, which is you know, huge to be able to get vets like Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill before they were traded um, to really, you know, buy in and you know, play hard. And then also to kind of like lead young guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dylan Brooks, uh, D'Anthony Melton, lead them all and, and, and to be 19 years old and be the undisputed leader on, you know, this team, Dylan Brooks is in his fourth year. Triple J is a, a sophomore, yeah. the, all the vets on the team, you know, um, NBA Valanciunas, not EuroLeague Valanciunas, but he's 26, 27. Like, there are men mm. on the team, and he stepped right in, and he's like, I'm the alpha dog here. Um, 17.7 assists, he's really efficient, um, 50% from the field, and he gets to the rim, and mm. when he gets there, he finishes, and he'll dunk on you, Aaron Baines, if you get in his way. Um, he's so athletic, he's so much fun. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't have him quite quite as high but he's um he's super cool i I, i'm i'm really excited for his future as well we can both say that next year he's going to be higher as well Uh, also for the fact that most of my guys on my top tier are 22 and are gonna (laughs) gonna be much higher he's gonna be much higher the dude that i had um in front of him is jalen brown at nine see i didn't know what to do with him and i've literally written that I don't know what to do with him and you could shuffle him anywhere. I've got him at 13, but that's not because I rank him 13 behind all these other guys. It's literally just because I put his name down and didn't know where to put him. So I, I still would keep him below Jar Morant and mm. you're not going to like my next pick, but yep. Give me, give me the argument for Jalen Brown at eight or nine. Where are we? Nine. I've got him for me. I've got him at nine. Yeah. I think the argument is really short and sweet. It's um, offensively, he's a bit kind of like a, um, you know, if I can draw a comparison to the animal kingdom, kind of like a scavenger um, where he fits in really well in any ecosystem and he's really important for cleaning everything up for the health of the entire ecosystem as a whole. So he can shoot. He shoots almost 40% from three. He can get to the rim on his own. He's tightened up his handle. He's really efficient. 
He shoots 50% from the field. He averages 20 points a game. He, you know, combines all these different things that you can do and just does them well, which means that he can fit into any role in any personnel grouping. Um, obviously, along with Tatum, um, grabbing seven boards a game, they're both grabbing seven. That's really, really good from your, um, from your wings. And then the thing that for me is the most important is the fact that he takes the opponent's best wing and does a good job. Um, yeah, look, you know, when he was a continue, you, you've talked me into it. I'm going to move him up to, I'm going to move him up into that tier and I'm going to chuck him up my number nine spot because oh, look at me, positional scarcity as well. And I was, as I'm reading these guys I have ahead of him, I'm like, nah, nah, when it comes yeah. to, who you want on, on your team to win a championship now. I would much rather Jalen Brown than some of the other names. The Phoenix Suns could have had Jalen Brown instead of John Bender. Rest in peace. <laughs> That's fucking grim, man. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right, who have you got next? Who well, got who, yeah, well, who this guy was going to be my nine, but now he's just below Jalen Brown. It's OG Ananobi. Mm. Because you know I love these guys that are elite at something. We had a a thrilling discussion about the 122nd paid player in the league this year, which is yeah. Andre Roberson. But OG Ananobi is everything Andre Roberson possibly can be, but he's actually doing it. And he's 22 years old and he generally stays healthy. What is it with these three and D wings not staying healthy? But OG Ananobi is one of the strongest guys for such a young age. I mean, strong, physically strong and could capably and has capably defended the best wing and those big win wings, whether it be he can guard like the LeBrons and the KDs of the world, but then he can also guard someone a little bit smoother and slickier. So slicky is not a word. Like uh like like a Clay Thompson or he can he can guard he can stay in front of all those guys that you want him to stay in front of and he hits his threes. And he's not very dynamic in offense, but for a guy who is incredibly elite on one end to be at least passable when it comes to threes. And I'll get his numbers up in a second, but he is a guy that you want on your team. And Toronto did an incredible job at drafting him so low. Uh, I've got his numbers. He's shooting 38% from three this season on three and a half attempts. So, yeah, a bit like your SGA. So he's shooting around the same as SGA, but in with SGA where he is a major part of the offense. OG isn't a major part of the offense and he isn't asked to be that guy who has to take X number of shots and has to take the the attraction of the defense. Where have you got OG? I don't have him on my list, Sean. You don't have him on your list of best players under 23? I don't. I've got someone else later who is very similar to OG. Um, so I think now it seems like an appropriate time to reveal and compare so i thought about putting og on but i ended up not um but someone who kind of fills a similar role um that i've got on my list is john isaac uh out of john isaac out of orlando easy to forget because he (laughs) you know he injured himself you know just before the new year second weekend (laughs) yeah which is you know a, a a real disappointment um but if he, you know, if he didn't get injured, he would have been the power forward on the all-defensive first team. His defensive numbers yeah. are literally insane, like mind mind blowing. He's one of the best shot blockers in the league. He's one of the best steel men in the league. Six ten, he can defend. Realistically, he can defend everyone but point guards. Yeah. Um, 
defensively, he's like one of the five best defensive players in the league. The issue comes on the other end where he's not very good at anything. Um, and I think he's best, you know, it's, it's, it's just such a pity that he fucking plays in Orlando because as I was about to say the sentence that I'm about to say, I'm thinking of four other guys who this could be true for, but it's a pity that he plays in Orlando because his best role is going to come as a, you know, in, in a way that he's just not going to be used in Orlando. So he would be a really, really good small ball five and use him as a role man, space him out with four shooters. He can't shoot, but he's 6'11", and he's got arms that go on forever, so he can dunk. But you know, Aaron Gordon is being misused. Mo um, Bamba being misused. Just the classic issue of athletic dudes being in Orlando. But um, yeah, so I didn't, didn't put OG in. Um, I feel pretty. I feel pretty comfortable with it. I don't think OG's um, necessarily uh, shown enough, other than being able to hit his threes, that um, put him. You know, I think so. OG he can guard the best wings in the league, while John Isaac can guard the best players in the league. John Isaac can guard everyone, and maybe not like your Steph Curry's, but you're fully capable of throwing him two or three through five. Um, just more yeah. three point shooting. He is shooting. 33% from three uh, on the season and is shooting 44% from the corners, but he makes less than one a game. So, you know, that's a very... Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, I think I, I don't have his per games in front of me, but I think he averaged like 11 points a game. So it, mm. it, it, it wasn't that, uh, you know, he's not in a high, a high usage role. Like he's not asked in Orlando to be an offensive, you know, an, an offensive dynamo, but like, I can't overstate just how good he is defensively. Like, like I said before, he's um, he was going to be the power forward on the all defensive first team if he didn't injure his knee. So um, that for me puts him above someone like OG, who's like good defensively, and you, he's very good defensively. Yeah, he's very good, and you you'd feel comfortable, you know, throwing him on Clay Thompson. But there's a difference between like like being confident that you can get someone who can do an okay job on Clay Thompson and then having a game wrecker. So I um I yeah I kind of I went with Isaac over OG yeah. for that. If I had remembered John Isaac, I would be doing the same thing. <laughs> oh, huge! So back to back picks. I've convinced you to move Jalen Brown up and then convince you John Isaac over OG. You I'm convinced a- me to remember John Isaac. Yeah. I must be like a hypnotist or something. Maybe you are. Uh, John Isaac, who uh, could actually fit inside the uh, Andre Iguodala trade exception for the Golden State Warriors. So, <laughs> John Isaac, uh, if Orlando is listening and they want to take Golden State's first round pick this year and Minnesota's next year and about six months worth of high fives, that would be incredible. Because can you imagine a starting lineup or finishing lineup of Steph, Clay, Whoever the fuck you want to, Andrew Wiggins. God, I forgot Andrew Wiggins existed. <laughs> um, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and John Isaac, or even get rid of Draymond Green, sub in whoever you want there. Um, that is deadly. With like he on, on offense, he could play the Kevon Looney role, where all he needs to do is stand under the rim and just wait if a if a shot goes up. But on defense, uh, think of the switching with John Isaac and Draymond Green on the court at the same time. That is so saucy. That is so, so saucy. Not going to happen, though. No, it's definitely not. How Uh, does Orlando turn around to their fans and say, we've just traded uh, the best defensive player in the league for two first-round picks uh, in a bad draft, and then Minnesota's whatever that becomes next year. And by the way, Mo Bamba's still our third-string big. 
Nice. Um, maybe we'd have to take on a salary dump. All right, so that that ends my second or third tier because I've got Luca in a tier by himself. So from here on out, I am going through a bunch of names uh, that I have as below everyone we've mentioned. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I've got I've I've pretty much got two guys who are um, largely similar, and I've got them as a take a pick, and then uh, I've got. You know, a couple other names below those guys, one of which is Isaac. All right. Well, I've got two guys as well, which are very much similar and take your pick. And then I've got a bunch of guys who I haven't written any notes for because we won't need to talk about them too much. I think uh, is those two names you're talking about, Jamal Murray and Darren Fox. Yeah. So yes, you don't want to, I don't want to pull hairs here or whatever you do with hairs. I stuffed this up a couple of weeks ago, but that thing with hairs that you do, I don't want to pull it. Um, I've gone with Jamal Murray ahead of Darren Fox just because at their very best, Jamal Murray is an incredible complimentary piece while Darren Fox is an incomplete number one option. Um, But yeah, I think they're both interchangeable. And what say you, Dante Boffa? Yeah, I I mean, I, I agree. I think Fox is better. They're both kind of similar because they... I, I, I think they've kind of stagnated this season where with Fox, obviously there was like a lot of hype that he was going to be the best player on an eight seed. Um, whilst Murray's never been asked to be the best player. Um, the fact yeah. that he has been signed to a max deal, which as Adrian Canella, um, who was on the pod last week, noted that deal doesn't start till next season. So he's not currently a max player, but mm-hmm. obviously if you're on a max deal, then there's the expectation that you're going to be like a, an all-star level player. Um, And in the West, being an all-star level player doesn't mean making an all-star team because obviously there's only 12 spots and, you know, there's probably 16 or 17 all-star level players in any one season in the West. So, but Murray wasn't even in the conversation in a serious way. So, um, he, yeah, he didn't show much growth from one year to the next and, and Fox, um, didn't either. And I don't know whether with Fox, I want to say that, he was a victim of Luke Walton's scheme or whether he was a massive beneficiary of Dave Yeager's scheme in the year before. Um, I think we'll need another year of seeing Fox to kind of figure out whether he can thrive as a player in any scheme or whether it was specifically the fact that Dave Yeager, you know, they played at the second fastest pace in the league that season and mm. there were so many transition opportunities and it played exactly into Fox's skill set. Does he need like a perfectly curated offense, um, you know, curated to his skill set? I don't know. So I kind of lump these two guys together. Like I said at the top, I think Fox is better, but if you tell me Mario, I'm, I'm not going to argue. Yeah, and I think one thing that differentiates these guys for me is that Darren Fox. You look at his, you look at his stats, and it's it's skewed very heavily towards finishing in the paint. And I think that's awesome if you can have a guy who with Darren Fox who is just like, what if he becomes the best guard finisher in the league? And then you've mm. got a guy who is the fastest guy in the league, gets out in the break all the time, and just finishes every single layup he ever touches, something like that. Then he doesn't really need to be that deadly of a three-point shooter because he's, you know, I mean, obviously you want to be respected, but I think there is there is room for Darren Fox to be a special something, which I know you thought was going to happen this season when you wrote mm. that uh, Darren Fox is the next best Kelly point guard, but uh, I'm not going to hold that above your head, of course. 
um, I think there is there is potential there for Darren Fox to explode and become a extremely good player. Um, but just in terms of consistency, I've I've put Jamal Murray ahead of him for for that. But yeah, interchangeable. Uh, should I read out a couple of names with my next four players and then you tell me if there's any difference? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so 14, Jaron Jackson Jr., 15, Lonzo Ball, 16, John Collins, and then 17, Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, so I haven't included Lonzo um, and I haven't included Robinson, but I've got Triple J um, and Collins wedged either side of John Isaac. Have you included um, any Chicago Bulls? No, I haven't included any Chicago Bulls. Have you included any? I would love. I would love. Do they, do they not meet the age requirements? Any, any who? Any Phoenix rookies, or do they not meet the age requirements? Um, no, no, they, they met the age. Um, oh, that's yeah. Fine. I thought you were talking about <laughs> for a second. Yeah, no, no, no. Fair enough. Cam Johnson <laughs> is twenty-seven. Um, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> I didn't include any. I didn't include any Bulls players because I'd like to see from marketing. I'd like to see make a bucket and from Wendell Carter I'd like to see don't miss half a season so and you'd like to um, see from Kobe for more than a quarter yeah well I'd like to see Kobe like make a pass <laughs> I mean that's my guy never going to get tired of watching him race ahead in transition or like pull up for a three because he's so much fun but you know I'm not exactly racing to be like Kobe White's my franchise point guard mm. um, yeah so that's my rounding out my my group I thought hard about putting um, Jaron Jackson Jr. a little bit higher, um, like squeezing him into the top 10. But I think ultimately, defensively, he's not quite there, although he will be one day. Um, obviously, with that frame like that, he just kind of still is a bit lost. The only thing that mm. I think makes him... He, he's kind of like... A, in a way, he's kind of like a proto-JJJ in that he is he's like an embryonic form of what he will be. And I know that obviously, you know, players, you know, every player is growing and developing, but you can really see the player that he's going to be when he's fully formed, but he's not good at the things that he, he will be good at yet. So he's not a great passer yet, although you will be able to initiate him in the offense and run him through um, dribble handoffs and, um, you know, post him up at the elbow and let cutters come around him and he will be able to anchor a defense one day. Um, he's not there with any of those skills yet. The only mm. thing that he's really, really good at, um, and I know that you are super duper keen on this, is he's shooting really, really well from three on a really mm. high number of attempts. Mm. Yeah, you're bringing a tear to my eye because that reminds me of my fantasy team. <sighs> Where you were number one in the league prior yeah. to the hiatus. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, nah, man, it doesn't count. I mean, I would like it to count on my uh, on my Yahoo account so that 10 years from now, it just adds another one to the, uh, to the win column. But in terms of actually trying to win the series, I was really looking forward to these playoffs and picking up the next to Fernie Simons on the, on the last day of the season. But yeah, anyway, I'll take your congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that um, is all she wrote. No, it's not all she wrote. No, no, because I want to talk about Colin Sexton. If you can spare five minutes. Look, I'll give you four minutes, 30. <laughs> Getting real in, sick of this man. <laughs> in, in the latest edition of me slowly falling in love with Colin Sexton, even though I know that I shouldn't, um, yeah, it's it's me again, slowly falling in <laughs> love with Colin Sexton, even though I know that I shouldn't. So 
there's just something about him that I can't shake. Um, and I'll lead off with the I'll lead off with something that I mentioned in the um, Trey Young discussion way back when at the top of this segment, where I said Trey Young might be the worst defender in the league. Someone that he has mad mad competition from is Colin Sexton because he's just fucking catastrophic defensively. Um, the Cavs are eight point eight points worse. Um, per 100 possessions defensively with him on the court, which is one of the worst single numbers of any player in the league. <laughs> on the worst defense. Yeah, on the worst. Players. Like, they're, they're, that is so bad. <laughs> but they're 5.6 points better on offense, which ranks in the 90th percentile amongst all players in the league. So he... Uh, you can poke holes in his offensive numbers really easily by saying that he's a point guard and I won't hear any argument of like, is he a point guard? Like maybe he played it too. Um, according to Clean the Glass, he played 100% of his minutes as a point guard and Darius Garland played, played a lot of his minutes as a two guard. So he's a terrible passer. He doesn't get people involved. I wouldn't trust him running a pick and roll with my life. But then there's something about 47% from the field, 40% from three on actual attempts. Like he's not one of these dudes who's taking one three a game. Um, and he, he gets into the paint. Like, I, I don't know. I can't quite shake it. Um, so I said 18, 21 points a game, um, 47, 38 splits. He shoots 85% from the line. There's something about it that to me just screams that this is not, you know, like a Zach Levine, chucking up shots on a bad team. This isn't Tim Hardaway on the 2017-18 Knicks. There's just something about this that seems a bit more tangible to me. And I don't know that it'll ever be developed in Cleveland because going forward, he's probably going to be cast as a lead guy, um, which he's not ready for that responsibility. And I think when he's fully emerged as the player that he's going to be. It's, it's not going to be as a lead guy, but as a complimentary second or third piece, um, or even in like a kind of Lou Williams role off the bench, it just, it just seems to me that there's enough here that he's going to be able to build a real um, NBA, NBA career. He's taking four threes a game, hitting 40% of them. I don't know. There's, I, I just, I can't shake it. I can't shake it. Some numbers are so bad and some numbers are so shockingly good that you just kind of sit there and you're like, oh, okay. All right. I'm listening. Um, anyway, yeah, that's that's my Colin Sexton bit. I don't even know what to say anymore, man. I'm just... <laughs> What's your honest... Like, am I crazy? What's your honest appraisal of this situation? Does what I'm saying make sense? Or do you look at this and think that I've taken my crazy pills? He came out of college as a guy who was a chucker but really tried hard on defense, and he's in the league as a chucker who doesn't try hard on defense. And you said it yourself. He is like negative eight points on one of the no, worst. He tries. He tries. He's just really dumb defensively. <laughs> it's like he's. It's know. like he's never seen a screen. It's like he's never seen an on-ball screen before. Fuck! Why is this guy? Why is this guy making his chest really wide and standing next to me? We we're not on the same team. Like, does he want? Yeah. To- does he want a hug? Yeah. I, don't, I don't see it, man. I uh, 
I, I really don't see it. Like when I was getting crazy and not actually getting crazy, but talking about the Utah, Utah winning a title, you could see it. Yes. You could see a mm-hmm. slight blueprint. I cannot understand. Like every now and again, you say things like you like DeMar DeRozan and you like Tobias Harris. And I go, okay, so Dante, like he likes efficient basketball, but he's got a soft spot for guys with cool names. <laughs> that must be it with Colin Sexton because there's two L's and it says sex in his name. I, that's that's <laughs> all right. So I'm gonna I'm I'm just gonna debunk something that you just said. And you know, let's. It's it's really great that this is you know in audio form and immortalized in the podcast, so that if in two years this is the most ridiculous thing anyone's ever said, you can uh, read this back to me. But on offense, from where he was in college. He's gotten much better at every level. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I watched him play at Alabama because I didn't, you know, I didn't watch a game of him in college. The first you know, exposure that I had to him was, um, you know, seeing him go eighth in the draft. But I'll just read you some of his numbers, um, at least in terms of his um, attempts and um, his, his raw, um, his, yeah, his, his raw percentages. So in, in college, he attempted um, about 13, point, uh, 13 shots a game, shot 44% from the field. As a, as a second-year NBA player, that 44 is up to almost 48. Um, he shot 33% from three. So he wasn't a good shooter at all. He was a below-average shooter. And now he's shooting almost 40% on four attempts a game and shot 78% from the line. He's shooting 85% from the line. And he actually gets there. He, he, he gets to the rim. He's got a, he's got a decent handle. Like, he, he doesn't have a handle that, um, you know, is going to be able to, like, lead you into a pass and, you know, like, he's going to dump off a pocket, dribble past a defender and dump off a pocket pass to a rolling big. But that handle allows him to get, to um to get to the rim he takes 39 percent of his shots at the rim which is in the 83rd percentile among point guards he's gotten better every year since he came to the league which only two years but including college the last three years he's gotten better and he's worked on developing specific skills that i think will see him stick around in the league for a long time and if he can get the things that he's terrible at to even average he has enough of a floor, a high enough floor offensively that I think he could be, you know, a, the third scorer on a, on a really, really good team. That's my thoughts. All right. Thanks for sharing again. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I just uh, need to get that off my chest. I still don't see it, but one day we'll sit down, you and I will watch the Cavs, and you and I are going to have so much fun yeah. just watching every single thing that he does. I, I think that's, <laughs> that's a good silver lining to this whole discussion. I don't see it, though. All right. Well, I'm going to go... Yeah, I, I know where this ends up. This ends up with me, you know, fully declaring that I'm a Colin Sexton guy. Um, I'm not quite there yet, but... I, um, I'm on the slippery slope. Like I'm, I'm three quarters of the way down the slide, and there's no turning back now. So catch me in, you know, three weeks' time. Saying, "Yep, Sean, I'm fully on board." <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think the the, the quarantining and the uh, the self distancing and coronavirus stopping basketball is only going to help that argument because you won't have any uh, won't have any evidence in your face watching Colin Sexton. You've just got these stagnant numbers that you've already talked yourself into. So. 
you're not going to be able to see it go down. I mean, that's at least the the very bottom of the argument. Anyway, I got to go because the very last episode of Better Call Saul is out, and I'm going to watch that last hour with extreme uh, excitement. What are you going to go do, Dante? Eat dinner. Pull jackfruit burgers. Pull jackfruit burgers. Nice. I'm going to mm. Google what a jackfruit is. It's a fruit, but it's used as like a pulled pork substitute. Mm. Beautiful. Uh, jackfruit, sorry. Stay on the line. Just mm, I'm on the line. <laughs> oh, that looks cool. Mm, beautiful. Same like consistency? Yeah. Te- Texture-wise, very similar. Not as good as pulled pork, but... Um, barbecue, jack- barbecue sauce? Uh, I probably won't do barbecue sauce. I'll probably do... Um, Probably do this aioli that I've been spamming. <laughs> What's the aioli? It's just this. It's just this vegan garlic aioli. It's yeah, huge. Tight. All I'm right. for it. Well, go have some fun, man. You too. Enjoy better call Saul. Ciao.